Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. I was self-medicating the only way I knew how. The easiest way to escape the pain of rejection and abandonment that followed me around from my childhood. I always felt inferior and inadequate, as though I didn't measure up to my siblings, and I felt a deep sense of unworthiness. I suffered a long battle with anxiety and depression, including multiple suicide attempts, a severe eating disorder, and countless harmful and life-shaping events, which you will hear more about if you attend the, the gala, which I will be sharing a fuller version of my testimony. My drinking escalated into severe drug use, powered by guilt, self-hatred, self-pity, and the enslaving force of addiction itself. Fear had a tight grip on my life. I was a slave to sin and self. Life was torture. I wouldn't let myself believe there was a God, because if he existed, why was my life so full of trauma and pain? I, instead of running to the only one who could save me, I ran to all the things that were destroying me. I became the, became the driving force behind my own insanity. Since being at Windsor Life Center, I stopped looking at God through a distorted lens. And he did the unimaginable, the unthinkable. I felt joy, real joy. Not only have I been able to maintain sobriety, but I've been given newness of life. Jesus came into my heart and began a healing process. He came into my soul and began a restoration process. He came into my mind and began a renewing process. And he came into my strong will and began a surrender process. I never said it was easy, but with God, all things are possible. I'm no longer a prisoner to the own thoughts and imaginations in my own mind, but the Holy Spirit has moved in me to receive a, uh, a freedom so empowering that I never want to turn back to the girl who was so bound up by self-contempt and sorrow. I used to have it all wrong. I thought freedom was rebellion, escaping reality, living by my own authority, indulging in my every impulse. I was living the law of diminishing return. But now I know that real freedom is choosing to confront pain instead of bargaining with it, to be vulnerable and to ask for help instead of trying to do everything on my own. Freedom is being able to trust, to love, and to let love in. Galatians 5.13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Being at Windsor Life Center, I can humbly say, I've learned how to love again and how to live, to cope healthily and to incline my heart to the things that build me. I've been saved by the grace of God, and thank you to all the people involved at Windsor Life Center, the staff, the volunteers, the donators. You are truly contributing to the redemption of lives. Windsor Christian Fellowship, the resources they have here, the services, the worship, it's all absolutely amazing. I'll be sharing a longer uh, version of my testimony at the gala on October 13th. I pray that all of you would come out, bring your friends, and sow into the home. I can tell you that not only would you be helping to change my life and the lives of many other women, but you would be, um, but, and the lives of many other women, but the friends and families surrounding us. I've been the addict, and I have loved ones who are still suffering. Recovery is the greatest gift, so I encourage you to be a part of the revival and attend the gala and work with God. Thank you. Thank you, Madison.
For anybody who doesn't know, my maiden name is Bethlehem. So my name is Mary. My last name is Bethlehem. And then, but wait, it gets better. Hold on. Because my mom and my brother were here in the first service. It was funny. We played on that a little bit. But my mom's name is Mary. I'm Mary. My dad's name is Joseph. Our last name is Bethlehem. My brother's name is Joseph. And our last name is Bethlehem. So, and then we have my brother who my mom wanted to name like, oh, she was into biblical names as well, but we're talking like Hezekiah and all these. I'm like, you know, Obadiah. And I'm like, mom, like we're already going through enough torture with our name. Like seriously, like what happened to the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, like those are good names. So thankfully she decided on Andrew. So Andrew was the apostle in the family. So it was good. So we were the holy family of Leamington. So I was like, oh my gosh, you'd have a heyday with our family. It'd be so awesome. Don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? We're going to be talking to you today about two masters. Really, you as a Christian are either going to be a slave to righteousness or you're going to be a slave to sin. And the choices you make every day will determine where that lands in your life. So this morning, you know, in the scripture we just read, Paul was talking to believers. So he was addressing believers on how they need to behave with one another, how they regard one another, how they treat each other. So I want to also refer to um, another scripture that also talks about, and this is Jesus teaching us, because that's where Paul was getting um, the information he was sharing with the apostles on how we're supposed to treat each other. So in Mark 10, 42 to 45, so Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life for a ransom for many. So it's important to note that Jesus wasn't talking to the world. He was talking to Christians. He was actually specifically talking to his disciples. And he was saying, among you, it needs to be different. Among us, it needs to be different. Among the believers in the body of Christ, it should look different. And Jesus also said in John 13... 35, 34 to 35, he said, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love, one for another, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So Jesus is saying here that by the way we, as a body of Christ, treat each other in the body of Christ, the whole world will know that we belong to him, and that we're different. But among us, we're different. We're supposed to be different. And you know, there was a common phrase that was really popular a few years ago, and it was, you know, WWJD. Anybody know what that stands for? What would Jesus do? So I think the question is, when I was meditating on this, and the Holy Spirit was saying to me, you know, is what did Jesus already do? What have I already done? And what Jesus already did, and he was motivated by, was love. He said, to love each other as I have loved you. 
And he also said that no greater love can one person have for another than that they lay down their life for a friend. And it's not just your physical life. It's your rights. It's your right to be right. It's your right to hold to be the one that has to be proven right and justify yourself and make yourself look good to prove yourself. He laid all that down and he came. So we have to understand that Jesus was God, the creator of the universe, has come down from heaven and has chosen to bring himself into the form of his creation and submit himself to the very principles that he created and formed from the very foundations of the world. So for the principle of love to operate in his life, he had to walk in all of those things to see the fruit of that to happen. John, you following me? So... He says, you know, we, all, we see in scripture there what love is. What is God? God is love. So God on earth had to operate in this principle in order to see the fulfillment of it. So he came, he died on a cross. He was submitted himself to no rights. Every single right was taken away from him. So he was shamed, tortured, bruised, beaten in every way known to man that a person could go through. And he was God, the creator of the universe. He literally holds your every cell together, every breath that you take. He's the one holding you together. And he said, I'm going to come and I'm going to be enslaved by love. And I'm going to allow that to be my motivator. To through, I make every decision through that. And his decision to die on the cross and give up his life for you was because he loved you. He was enslaved by love for you. So he gave up his rights to be God. And because he did that, though, what does God say? When you choose to let me be your defender, when you choose to let me be your vindicator, I begin to work for you. I go to work on your behalf. So when Jesus, he was the lamb led to the slaughter, he said nothing, though he had every right to say something. If anybody had any right to say something, it was God. So, so often we feel like I have a right to say something. I have a right to justify myself. I have a right to be right. They need to be the one to apologize to me. Why should I be the one to go and apologize to them? But Jesus said nothing. So God went to work on his behalf and what happened to him? Jesus became the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the name above all names. He was, uh, he was lifted up to the most highest place because of his choice to be motivated in love and die for us on the cross and chose not to cling to his rights. God gave him every right back. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father as the name above all names. So as us as Christians, when, the, when, we're, when Jesus is saying to us, among you, it needs to look different. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be the light that people look to, that among Christians, we're supposed to treat each other and serve each other in this way in love. So that means we're supposed to be patient. We're supposed to be kind. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. We're all very familiar with this verse. We're not supposed to be jealous, proud, or rude. It's not supposed to demand our own way, so we're supposed to let go of our right. Love never gives up, never loses faith, and it will never fail. It will last forever. So we need to understand that in that way, 
That is how we go on because in the kingdom, love is the one thing that the kingdom is still going to be working by. That law is going to keep working even in eternity, even in heaven when we get there. The law of love is what's working in heaven right now. The kingdom of God is love. We see here that the spirit of the age is conflicting with truth from the Bible because the spirit of the age is all about my rights. And the word of God says we lay down our rights, we surrender our rights, we give up our rights. And in Christ as Christians, we, we surrendered our rights over to Christ. That said, our, our concept today with two masters and, and really um, this word slavery keeps coming up and I know that when I say the word slavery, a lot of you cringe and, and you know, slavery is horrible, um, no, no question about it, especially with our Western iteration of it or our Western view of slavery. And I think I've seen a lot of articles out on the web and stuff like that and I love the internet, it's a, a great tool, but just because someone has an opinion doesn't mean their opinion is correct. <laughs> Which is why all of us swallow 17 spiders in our lifetime, right? Internet marketing illustration <laughs> gone to seed. So here's the thing. The biblical concept of slavery is a little bit different than our Western version of it as we know it. And, and in our society today, you know, Canada 2017, <clears throat> if someone doesn't have enough food or clothing or shelter, we have some social services provided by our government that assist people with these things. True? Everyone with me? We're all tracking together? In ancient times, they didn't necessarily have the social services provided by the government. So if someone wasn't able to feed their family or they didn't have a roof over their head or for whatever reason they had debt they couldn't pay, uh, there was no recourse for them. So often what they would do is they would sell themselves to slavery or sell themselves to serve a master. So they would give up their rights and their titles and they would basically come under the covering and the protection of the one that they sold themselves to. Now, this was common practice in those days. And when you look at the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the first portion of your Bible, 39 books, uh, when it talks about slavery, it's interesting because it seems that it's always for the protection of the slave. For instance, in the Word of God, do you know that Kidnapping someone and selling them into slavery was a capital offense punishable by death in the Old Covenant. So the, the version of slavery that we know today is totally out the door already because if you did that and got caught, you'd get killed. And then moving a step further, they were told how to treat their servants or their slaves. And they were to treat them with honor and respect. And if you killed a slave, you would be guilty of a capital offense and you would be put to death. If you injured them so that they couldn't work, they'd be set free. In fact, even going further with the Jewish people, every seven years they had to be set free anyway. And every 50 years they even had to give them their land back. So it seems that throughout the Old Covenant, there was this idea that all men are created equal before God, and some people found themselves in these situations, but they were to be treated with respect and dignity. When we move into the New Covenant or the New Testament, the second portion of your Bible, you know, the Romans kind of ruled the world at the time that the New Testament was written. 
History will tell you this. And the Romans, those Italians, you married one. You are Italian. Yeah. <laughs> they practiced involuntary slavery, which means when they conquered a people, they would take a portion of those people and they would force them to become their servants. It seems that some historians will say up to a third of the New Testament church were directly in this relationship at the time that the New Testament was written. Some say a third were under it at one point and then another third were under it currently. It just depends on who you read. But here's the thing. If a third of the Christians in the New Testament church were forced into servanthood for the Romans, who were the conquering people at the time, Paul is talking to them and he's telling them, this is how we're supposed to act as Christians. Let's read what it says. 1 Corinthians 7, are you a slave? Don't let it worry you. But if you get the chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you're a slave when the Lord called you, you're free in the Lord. You're now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you're now a slave of Christ. God paid a high price for you. Don't be enslaved to the world. What's important is don't be enslaved to the world. But in Ephesians 6, he talks about slaves obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether slaves are free and masters. Here's your part. Treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven. He has no favorites. There's an idea in the New Testament. It doesn't matter your social status. It doesn't matter your position. Okay? God sees all men and women as equal. We all stand before him equal. There's no favorites. God's not a respecter of persons. So we have to be careful no matter what our position in life, no matter what our status in life, that we treat all people with respect and honor and dignity and love. Are we doing okay? Now, I'm hoping that that frames, because I've seen a lot of articles, oh, the Bible supports slavery, so the Bible's out to lunch. Well, let's look at it within the context of what it was written. And the world we live in today is a little different than the world back then and the way that things were. I'm pretty sure that God does not, con uh, God does not condone kidnapping people and forcing them to serve. Pretty sure. Because he said to kill them if they got caught doing that. <laughs> And I know some of you here in Canada don't like capital punishment. It's just interesting. It was here before the law of Moses. Um, we'll talk about that in another lesson. Uh, what's that? Oh, the bond servant. Yeah, so thank you. I could have talked about it, but he explains it so much better. He's, he loves this. She's my friend. So... The word bondservant that you see Paul use, I'm a bondservant of Christ, and really the word bondservant and slave are kind of from the same root in the Greek. So bondservant, slave, it's kind of the same thing. And remember I told you in the Old Testament especially that the people get released after so long? They could choose to stay on with the master and the arrangement would change where they would voluntarily offer their service for the rest of their lives. Why would they choose to stay on with the master? Because they were treated kindly. They were treated kindly. They were treated with love. In and fact, I, yeah. in some cases, like you look at Abraham, until such time that, well, Isaac came, or even before him, Ishmael, Ishmael and Isaac came a little bit later in life, the one who would have inherited his estate 
was his primary bondservant. That's the guy who would have took over all of Abraham's possessions until he had some sons that he could give it to. That was Abraham's cry to God. I have yes. no one to take over yep. except for my servant. Yep. So, so, video. The video? I want to play video. Okay. We have a video by Kyle Eggleman. By now, Matthew would have been well aware of Jesus and his teachings. He would have known that Jesus wasn't your typical rabbi, but that he was doing things differently. Then one day, Jesus comes by the tax collector's booth of Matthew, and he offers a two-word invitation. He says, follow me. Now, those who overheard the invitation would have been shocked. I'm sure that the other disciples were probably offended because Matthew was a tax collector. He wasn't just a sinner. He sinned for a living. He was a tax collector. And yet Jesus says, follow me. The question is, would Matthew do it? And Matthew understood that to follow a rabbi was a 24-hour-a-day commitment. Matthew understood that it was not just knowing what Jesus knows. It was going to be living how Jesus lived. Matthew understood that in order to follow Jesus, he must call Jesus Lord. The word Lord in the New Testament is interesting. Because most of the time when we hear it, we assume it is a reference to the divinity of Jesus. But in actuality, the Greek word Lord is the word kurios. Now here's what's interesting about this word. It, it is without question a slavery word. It belongs to the world of slavery. A kurios was the owner of the slave. And so when Matthew calls Jesus Lord, it's not so much an acknowledgement of his sovereignty or of his heavenly residence. It is saying that Jesus is his owner. Now, there's no way to call someone a curios without calling yourself a doulos. Doulos is the Greek word for slave. A slave had no rights. A slave signed over everything to the master, even his own identity. A slave's one-word job description was obey. So Matthew understood to call Jesus Lord was to call himself a slave. How many of you enjoyed Kyle Edelman? So if you call Jesus your master, really you're taking the position of a slave. I want to encourage, is there any men in the room? Only a few, it seems. Oh, my goodness. Not many. <laughs> men, I want to challenge you. Because this series that that clip was taken from, Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman, it challenges us to not be just fans of Jesus, yay Jesus, when we're in church. But it challenges us to take on his nature and his character 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And our men's team, the Men Alive team, they meet on Saturday mornings from 8.30 to 10, and they're going to spend about 12 weeks breaking this down for you. And I found myself personally challenged when I went through this series, because oftentimes it's really easy to say, yay, Jesus, but it's really different when you're forced to make a decision. Am I a follower of Christ, or am I just a yay, Jesus? And Kyle Edelman does a great job explaining those things to us, and the men's team does a great job with that. We know 
that if we want to have a strong church, we need strong men who lead strong families, who create a strong community. So I'll encourage all of you. I know some of you can't always make it at that time, but those of you that can be there, be there as often as you could. I'll challenge you. We'd love to see you out there. And the guys that facilitate this do a fantastic job with that. So calling Jesus master means you give up your right to sin. So it's very interesting to note that Jesus, you know, he was called, I mean, was explaining that Jesus is supposed to be our Lord. He's our master. And we are to be enslaved by love, by him. And if Jesus is our master, so Paul, RJ was talking about, Pastor RJ was explaining the bond servant. And it was the choice of the slave to remain in the service of the master. But why did he want to remain in the service of the master? Because of the treatment that he was given. He was treated well. He was given kindness um, and treated with respect and honor. God doesn't force you to be enslaved by him. He doesn't force you to serve him. It's your choice. So you choose, Paul refers to himself, Jesus, I am his bondservant. I have chosen as my choice to serve God. I choose to be enslaved by Jesus. And it says, the word says and admonishes us that if we love Jesus, then we are to obey his commandments. Amen? So, Second Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 20 to 26. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If, everybody say if. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. How many be used for every good work? How many want to be used for every good work? The rest of you don't want to be used for good works? How many want to be used for good works? Seriously, all of us, right? We have to keep our lives clean and pure. Because when we're clean and pure, then we position ourselves so God can utilize us for good works. Then he tells us how to do this. (laughs) Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Preacher. Are you telling me that God wants, God's interested in who I hang out with? Yes, he is. In fact, he's encouraging you to hang out with people who pursue Jesus with pure hearts. Well, what about some of those people I'm supposed to win? Yeah, yeah, I understand we're in the world and we, we're not going to win people if we don't spend time with them. But your closest relationships should be people that are going in the same direction you are, towards righteous living, towards holiness, and sometimes you have to change your circle of friends because really they're not going in the direction that you want to go. Again, I say don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Aren't you patient with me, Angel? I'm very patient with you. Long suffering. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's He's so funny. Too. <laughs> it's so funny. When you're preparing a message like this, right, there's all these opportunities for you to get tested. So like this week, just the last couple days, I was driving with Pastor Rick, and you you know how there's a left turn lane that you kind of go over and it goes up to the light and then you make a left turn? 
Well, there's this one over here on Provincial, and you can kind of go early and turn into the gas station, or you could go up to the light. So I was driving with my dad, and a lady missed the one for the gas station, and rather than go around the corner, she decided to stop in the middle of the left turn lane and cut across traffic and kind of go in the exit of the gas station. It was awesome. But of course, I had to miss the light, you know, so my dad's like, just be patient. I'm like, I'm working on it, working on, must be patient with difficult people. And then I'm driving with my wife the next day, and someone's in the left turn lane, and they decided they wanted to be in the right turn lane, so they stopped and waited till all the traffic cleared. So, of course, I had to wait for the light again. And then I was driving again, same place. And traffic's backed up, so I thought, maybe I'll wait until I get a little closer so I don't go into oncoming traffic, and then I'll go over into the left turn lane. Well, as I was getting ready, someone from the back decided they were going to go in the wrong way and go up to the light in front. And of course, I had to wait for the light again. God is working on his patience, see? Because right now we have one bathroom, and we have four daughters and me. See? So it's been fun. Pray for him. So I'll say it like this. We all have the same grace available to us, and I have to access it as much as everyone else does. <laughs> but he says this. He says, gently instruct those that oppose truth. Perhaps God will change their hearts, and they'll learn the truth, and they'll come to their senses and escape the devil's trap. For they've been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. So in 2 Peter 2, 18 to 22, it says... They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had known never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command that they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. So, on one hand, we're, hopefully we want to be enslaved by love, which will lead to nothing but, you know, the fruit of righteousness in our life. And the, but it is very possible, and many of us struggle with, to be enslaved by things that aren't very good in our lives. They are destructive, and they hurt others, and they affect others, and our choices can affect others. And there's different things that we can be enslaved by. One of them is pride, addiction and approval, greed, lust, alcohol, lifestyle. So, and they affect our relationships with other believers. Now, if we're truly operating in love with one to another. Now we're talking about our Christian family in the church. But so many times, even in our families, the ones that we love the most are the ones that we treat the worst. And the ones that we, so in the church, we do this to each other. We're critical of each other and we judge each other and we're harsh. And we think that we can impose judgment upon each other when in the church, Jesus says, among you, it's supposed to be different. Among you, you're supposed to love each other the way I have loved you. Among you, you're supposed to be patient and kind, long-suffering and forbearing, and not choose to prefer your own right, and choose to be right, and want your way, and not be rude, not use harsh speech. All of those things among us, it's supposed to be different. 
So Jesus is talking about that with us, and we need to be the ones that in, that's how our light will shine when we're showing the world that this is the way we treat each other in the church, and this is the way we treat each other, and then that's how they're going to know that you are a Christian and that you belong to him. So with pride, let's take, for example, pride, how it is going to affect your marriage. Well, how about if you refuse to say, I'm sorry? In your marriage, how long is that, is that going to be healthy when you just, you won't own your stuff. You need to own your stuff and humble yourself and say, I'm sorry, I should have done this, or I'm sorry, I said this. If you won't humble yourself, you are making the choice and being enslaved by pride not to say, I'm sorry. And what about to your children? If you refuse to go to your children and say, I'm sorry, my words were harsh. I shouldn't have said that to you. I shouldn't have said that in that way. But if you're harsh and you're rude and you're in pride and I'm the parent, they don't have to, I don't have to apologize to them. They need to be the one to come and apologize to me. How does that benefit our relationship one to another? How is that helping to show and impart into your children love, the unconditional love that Christ has for us, and that for him, he humbled himself, and he came, and he gave his life. Why can't I, as a parent, humble myself and say to my child, I'm sorry, I screwed up. I shouldn't have done that, or as a, a wife, RJ, I will, I will honor him. I won't. He is much better at this than I. He comes and says, I'm sorry more than Daily. I do to him, but that's because he has to. He gets more opportunity to say, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. No. He's much better at it than I am. And, but he is the first to lead in that. And I respond to that as his wife. And I am so thankful and I am so grateful that when he can come to me and he can say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And that, what is that? In me, I respond and that opens up in me. You know what, hon? i I'm sorry too. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said this. Somebody has to be the one, because he's more mature, to say I'm sorry. Don't fool yourself. <laughs> to say I'm sorry. And that, but that's how we can be enslaved by pride. So you can either make the choice to humble ourselves, or we can make the choice, no, I'm going to be enslaved by pride, and I'm not going to say I'm sorry. In the relationship with our believers here in the church, you can either cling to your right to be right, and cling to your right to defend your right. And even though you know and you really feel like before God, I, I am right. Like, they hurt me. Instead, I can say to that person, I'm sorry, you know, and I want to make peace. Even though you don't have to, but you are putting that relationship higher. You want to not, you want to clear the offense away. So you are taking a step in faith to bring reconciliation, to bring peace acting in love, not choosing to cling to your own right, but choosing instead to say, I value this relationship more than I value my right to be right. I want to bring peace into this relationship. So in amongst ourselves, we need to be asking ourselves, how are we taking care of each other? How are we thinking about each other in that? Romans chapter 14. <laughs> the whole chapter. It's awesome. Let's see how far we get. Hey, we have more time than we did first service. That's right. <laughs> you can come over here so you can follow with me. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputing, disputable matters. Context. 
Some people are weak in faith. <laughs> Don't fight with them on disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything. Ah, I went to NIV, and I really want to go back to NLT, sorry. For instance, for instance, in other words, here's an illustration of how this works, right? One person believes it's right to eat anything, another believer has a sensitive conscience, will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. Those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God's accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it, how? To honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord. And since they give thanks to God before eating, that's where we get grace from, that verse right there. That's why we say, thank you, God, for this food. And those who, receive to eat, or those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord, both of the living and the dead. So we ask a question. Why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Who are we? The scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us, and here's the personal responsibility, will give a personal account to God, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide, now I want everyone to catch this. Decide instead to live your life's in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. That's right. I know, and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus, that no food of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it's wrong, then for that person it's wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, catch this, you're not acting how? In, In love. love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died, then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not about what we eat and drink, but living a life of goodness, peace, and joy. If you serve Christ with this attitude, how are we supposed to serve Christ? With this attitude. What's the attitude? Love where we prefer one another. We prefer others. Love prefers others. It's not about my rights. It's about what's best for the community, right? You'll please God and others will approve of you too. So let us aim for what? Harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all food's acceptable, but it's wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. And then he goes on and says, it's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. Did you talk about peanut butter this time? Uh, no, not yet. Talk about peanut butter. Talk about peanut butter. Well, a good example is peanut butter for us. Um, if, say, I have a friend who is very allergic to peanut butter. And I love peanut butter, but my friend is allergic to peanut butter. But I really don't care. I'm going to eat peanut butter around them all the time, anytime I can get my hands on peanut butter. But peanut butter will kill them. They, if they uh, smell it, touch it, get around, it will kill them. But I choose to still eat my peanut butter because doggone it, I love my peanut butter. And I want to have my peanut butter and I'm clinging to my right to eat peanut butter. Because just because they can't doesn't mean I can't. Am I walking in love and preferring them if I'm still choosing to eat my peanut butter when it could kill them? So in the same way as Christians, if we know 
that doing something, we know that the, the, our fellow believer, the one that we're supposed to be walking this out, this journey with in Christ, is stumbling and is having a hard time and is struggling. And I am putting up that roadblock in front of them all the time. I'm causing them to stumble. I am the one who's causing them to struggle all the time. I am the one that God is going to look to and say, why did you do this? You are the one who is going to be judged because you knew that they were struggling with this and yet you were causing this little one to stumble. And so in the church, we need to be preferring others and in that case, really be cognizant of how they're, what, how they're feeling, how it will affect them because we want to respond to each other to be successful, victorious in our Christian walk and helping each other to be successful, victorious in our Christian walk. We're supposed to be coming alongside each other and helping each other, not doing whatever we can to put a roadblock and a hindrance in front of each other, even though it's not a roadblock and a hindrance for me, but it might be for you. But because I'm committed to your success and because I want to see you operate in success and have victory in the kingdom of God, and if I am walking in love, then I will abstain from that and believe in God that I'm going to be able to swim in a pool of peanut butter in heaven if I want because I abstain from peanut butter here on earth. So I can get all the peanut butter I want in heaven, right? It's the perspective that we're coming from. It's an eternal perspective. Is what I'm doing having effect in that person's life for eternity? Yes, it is because I'm helping them in their walk. I am affecting their walk with the Lord. Amen? So if everyone can stand with us and the ushers can hand out the elements. So as we're looking at this today, you know, you have the elements in front of you, the bread and the cup. I want to encourage all of you. Has anyone arrived in their love walk? And everything you do is motivated by love. Is there anyone there? A couple of you? (laughs) The reality is, there's probably some room for improvement in all of our lives, where the Holy Spirit is going to convict us and speak to us, not to condemn us and beat us up, but to really challenge us to take on more of the nature of Christ. So, for you that are with us here today, you know, I want to invite you to join us here at the front. And we're already standing here because <laughs> we know this applies to us, okay? Amen. And really, if you come forward today, it's really just saying, God, I really want to follow you in every arena of my life. You are my master, therefore I want to be a slave to righteousness. I want to be a slave to do your will. I want to give up my rights, God, and I really want to take on your nature and character inside of my life. Is there anyone that that is really your heart's cry? Then you can join us down here. And we're going to pray that God's going to get involved in your life today, and he's going to help that to happen for you. Or even if you recognize, too, that, um, Lord, you're not the one that's Lord over my life and master over my life. I am enslaved by pride, or I'm enslaved by fear. I'm enslaved by... Anxiety, I'm enslaved by what people think. But you want to make the change and you want to say, Lord, I want to be enslaved by love. I want to walk in love. 
you, only you can answer that question and have that conversation with the Holy Spirit for him to make that shift inside of your heart this morning. So as we have the bread today, Father, I thank you for the men and women in this room with us and even those that are watching us today. And I believe that your word has gone forth and you are the one that speaks to our hearts about what's going on inside of us. And as all of us have an obligation before you to make adjustments, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're guiding us in that path and you're showing us the things that we need to do and the places that we need to go. I thank you, Lord, that you're transforming us and as we've been baptized, Lord, that we are truly dead to sin and we can live a righteous life. So help your righteousness to arise within our hearts this morning. Help us to take on the righteousness of God in Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that as we activate that by faith today, Lord, and we receive the bread, that we receive righteousness and we receive healing in our bodies and in our minds and in our emotions as you restore all things to wholeness today in the name of Jesus. In Matthew 5, verse 43, it says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for you? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But I want you to pay attention to this. This is the only place in scripture where God commands us to be perfect. He says, but you are to be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. The Lord is talking here about love that we're to perfect our love walk. And in every situation in our life, there's, there's, we know, we've talked about what love is. And no matter what the circumstance, no matter what happens in our life with an enemy or a friend, whatever attribute that needs to come out, love is perfect. Love never fails. The word of God says that tongues will fade away and prophecy will fade away, but love never goes away. Love never fails. That is what is in operation in the kingdom of heaven right now in eternity. It will keep going on. It is how the kingdom of God operates. So that if love demands in that moment patience, then that's what we give patience. If love demands in that moment for us to give up our right, then that's what we do. If love demands in that moment for us to pray for our enemies and bless them, and that's what we do. We want to be enslaved and make every choice out of love and to serve each other in the body of Christ. It starts at home first, in our church first, here at WCF first, that we first are enslaved by love one to another. What would happen if we started, you know, tripping over each other to bless each other, to love one another truly, to prefer each other's rights over our own. Can you imagine? Because that's what Jesus did. He said to love each other as I have loved you. 
So this morning, I encourage you to look at how we're loving the people in our lives and are we truly loving them the way Jesus has loved us? Are we extending to them patience and grace? Are we extending to them mercy instead of judgment? Are we extending to them forgiveness? Even though they don't deserve it, but that's what forgiveness is, or it ceases to be forgiveness. Forgiveness is to be given that which you don't deserve. Church, we didn't deserve to be forgiven by Jesus. But he forgave us and gave us that which we did not deserve. So this morning, Lord, as we receive your blood that was shed for us, Lord. Lord, love covers sin. And I thank you, Lord, because you loved us. The blood that you shed for us covers our sin. It covers us so totally and completely, Father. I thank you, Lord, that today as we receive this cup, that we receive it knowing that our sin is covered. And that today as we go forth as believers, that we would go forth today and cover each other in love cover each other's sin instead of pointing the finger cover each other in mercy cover each other in encouragement and words of affirmation and hope and healing cover each other and extend strength and grace father i thank you that we would be imitators of christ that we would walk in the way that you've taught us to walk, that we would love each other the way you first loved us. So Father, I thank you that you minister to each and every heart today. And I thank you that in Jesus' name, that every enslavement of bondage, of fear and depression and pride and rejection and approval, addiction and fearing what others think, Lord God, would be broken in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, that today that we go forth and we receive as a choice to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ, that we choose today to serve the only good and perfect master, our Father in heaven. We choose today, Lord God. So we thank you, Father, for your perfect love that casts out all fear and that we can go forth in faith. In Jesus' name.